Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you great praise and thanks this morning. God, I thank you for the unity of your saving work and your saving acts upon this earth. Father, that you did not look upon this broken humanity with disdain, but with grief, and you sent your only Son to save us. We thank you, Father, that you did not leave us alone as Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, but you sent your Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, as we sung this morning, to be with us, to comfort us, to save us, to empower us, to give us joy and strength in the midst of the wilderness that we live. And so, Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be present here with us this morning as we come to this letter. We thank you, God, for the faithfulness of your apostle, Paul. We thank you for his life of ministry. We thank you for all the things that he suffered on behalf of the gospel and for your glory and for the sake of the building up of the church. And we ask that you would continue to do that work amongst us here today. Lord, that you would build us up, that you would knit our hearts together in love by the Spirit. We need you to do this, God, from first to last. We need you to work and make that effectual in our hearts. And so we plead with you, God, that you would, that you would hold us, that you would enliven us, that you would make us alive here today. Lord, those, for those who have never put their faith in Jesus, we ask that you would do a miracle in their hearts, the miracle that you continue to work in the life of all of your saints, that of redeeming and making alive and saving our souls. Would you do that this morning by your spirit? In our weakness, God, we need your power to show up. And so we pray that you would be here with us. Minister to each of us individually and to us together as a church. We ask this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I encourage you to open your Bible, open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the last chapter of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Last Sunday, last Sunday, I had a simple exhortation for us, and it was this, Christian, you are not powerless. And I said last Sunday, I said last Sunday that we would continue with this theme. So last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. We looked specifically at the work of the Holy Spirit. And today we, we broaden our focus to the Holy Trinity, to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we're going to continue to press in and focus upon the work of the Holy Spirit. So this morning I want to consider with you more deeply, though, this question... This question about our powerlessness without God, but according to 2 Corinthians. So the, the, what I want to consider with you is the power of God for you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of God, this is a theme in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, that is for you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
What is your felt need this morning? What, what is that existential need? Maybe you're just hungry this morning. Maybe, maybe you didn't eat breakfast, you rushed out the door, you're feeling, you're feeling hunger. Maybe it's something as simple as that. Maybe it's something deeper, though. For many of us, it is. A sense of our own frailty or else our own powerlessness. Maybe you come this morning with an unanswered question or many unanswered questions. Maybe you have an unfulfilled longing broken relationships or many broken relationships or even just an unmet expectation whatever it is we all come with some felt need this morning and if you don't have a felt need if I ask you the question what what is what is going wrong what what do you need help in this morning and you can't immediately answer thanks be to God thanks be to God but I want to establish here at the morning A baseline felt need that all of us need. All of us need every day the reality of our own weakness in ourselves. Or else, as the Apostle Paul says, in our flesh. The reality of our hopelessness when we are alone. When we are alone. The reality of our powerlessness. We think we have all the power and all the control. But when we walk alone We are powerless. What do you need? So let's begin at the very end. Look with me at the very end. The last verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14. Why this reading this morning on Trinity Sunday? 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14. The grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is a common word, and the love of God, this is the agape love of God, which we're familiar with, and the fellowship, or else the koinonia, the koinonia, or the participation of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is what we need. This is what we need, and that's where I want to begin We need, desperately, we need deep grace, and we need still deeper love, and we need this this love and this grace. We need to participate in this, a deeper participation, but not in an abstract idea, not in grace or love or fellowship in the abstract. We, We need to give and receive grace in all of our lives instead of quarreling, instead of jealousy, Instead of anger or hostility and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder, this is the opposite of grace. We need that. We need to be loved and to feel love and to love others. Or as the Apostle Paul says in chapter 12 and verse 5, he says that I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, Am I to be loved less? We all desperately need this kind of love for someone to spend themselves for us. This is what we all desire when we wake up in the morning. Someone to give themselves completely to us, for us, and someone that I might give myself fully to. We desperately need fellowship to not be alone, to not be alone, to intimately participate in something with someone. This is the felt reality 
this is what every one of us needs here this morning. But we don't need it abstractly. We don't just need grace or love or fellowship. We need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need the love that your soul cries out for, which is God's tender and fatherly care. Our need for intimacy cannot be satisfied in a created thing, in a friend, in a spouse. The kind of participation that we crave cannot be experienced apart from the Holy Spirit. We don't need detached or else abstract grace or love is love or fellowship or any fellowship will satisfy. We need something specific. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. God, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 20 of chapter 1. His answer to every longing you have has been answered in the Son of God, or else Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity. So every hope, every promise, every longing of the human heart is answered yes. It's answered yes, Paul says, in Christ. Or else it's not answered at all. You need no other pleasure than, he goes on to say, to smell the sweet fragrance of the gospel. This aroma of Jesus Christ, the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. In chapter 3 and verse 14, Jesus Christ, he takes the veil off of our face so that we can see. We can see him, chapter 4 and verse 4, we see him in the gospel, which is the gospel of the glory of Christ alone who brings light into our darkness so that we can stop stumbling around in the darkness. Verse 10 of chapter 4. And the death of Jesus so that you can have the life of Jesus. This is the great exchange. He who, raising the Lord Jesus, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. This is the grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ that we all desperately need. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one, that Christ has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So what burden do you walk in with this morning? What is your felt need this morning? Do you desire to be called beloved? Do you need someone else to come alongside you and hold you up? Paul's appeal and my appeal to you this morning from first to last 
The grace and love and intimacy that you long for can only be found in Christ. This is the gospel. He alone can save. He alone can redeem. He alone can fulfill our heart's desire. The grace and love of God the Father is found in Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. He is the Lord. He is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is what David longed for in Psalm 32. He cried out to God, his Savior, in these words, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Are you dry this morning? The only satisfaction, the only thirst that can be quenched is by Christ alone. The water that flowed from the side of Jesus Christ to quench our thirst. And so, I call you this morning to worship Jesus. Read the testimonies of living water interacting with dry and thirsty souls. This is what we need. Sing songs about Jesus. He is the fount. He is the source of every blessing that we need to tune our hearts to sing his praise. This is what we are here to do. Is your job, is your vocation draining you? Is it sucking the life out of you this morning? Fix your mind on Jesus. Another job won't be the answer in the end. Are you lonely? Rejoice. Sing. Sing, aim for restoration, the Apostle Paul says. And if you cannot, go to Jesus, go to him, and again, go to him, and then seek restoration. Are you bitter? Comfort one another, the Apostle Paul exhorts us. And if you cannot bring comfort to one another, go to Jesus and receive comfort from God. And then go and seek comfort for one another. Are you angry this morning? Agree with one another. Agree with one another on your knees in prayer this morning. And if you cannot agree, seek wisdom and knowledge from God in Christ. And then you will agree. Are you hopeless? Live in peace. And if you cannot have peace with your neighbor, and I don't mean the neighbor out there, I mean the neighbor that you live with. The hardest person it is to keep peace with day in and day out. Seek the grace and peace in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the God of love and peace will renew you to make peace with your neighbor. How do we do this? We have a bunch of felt needs this morning. How can we seek Jesus? How can we know that Christ is in me? 
Another way to say that is how can we have faith? How can we have hope in the midst of our hopelessness and love when we don't feel like loving our neighbor or Jesus or anything? When our bodies are wasting away, when we are crushed, when we're confused, when we despair, when we are persecuted and struck down, when, as David says, our strength is dried up by the heat of summer. How do we do this? Ambrosiaster, or else uh, a guy who we think was Ambrose in the late 4th century, said that if you even have a sense of this desire, if you even have a sense of this desire or else a sense of faith in your heart, then you can know that Jesus Christ is within you. So you're here this morning. If you're coming, even in the dryness of the heat of summer, and you have a sense of this felt need that Jesus is the only one who can answer it, then you know Jesus Christ. How do we go deeper? The love of God the Father was made manifest in the grace of Jesus Christ. We'll hear later in this service, John 3.16, which many of us are familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And the Apostle Paul begins this letter, 2 Corinthians, and he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so at the beginning of Paul's letter, it might seem that the Father and the Son alone are God. That the Father sent the Son to die for our sins. And this is the love of God manifest for us. And so how is the plan of salvation from God that was, he sent his Son that was then accomplished by Jesus Christ. How do we, how do we put our faith in this salvation plan? Or else how is it applied to sinners? Paul answers this question over and over again in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. So God the Father establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Chapter 3 and verse 3. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence, Paul writes, that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And so how can we have a sense of faith in Jesus Christ? The answer over and over again is the spirit of the living God. If you have any faith at all, it is God working that in you. It is because of God, the Spirit in you. The inheritance that is given to Christ alone is given to sinners. And the means by which we receive this inheritance is the Spirit of the living God. 
He writes the gospel of Jesus Christ upon our hearts. And so if we want to approach the Lord God, the only way we can do it with the eyes of faith is by the Spirit. Moses approached the living God on Mount Sinai in the giving of the law, Paul goes on to say. But the ministry of the Spirit is even more glorious than Moses' shining face. Why? To this day, Paul writes, Whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is, the re- is removed. How? How? Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to see. And we all, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. The image of the Son of God from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The mercy of God and the glory of God the Father is perfectly manifest in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this redemption is applied to sinners by God the Holy Spirit. This is the only way to participate in the life of God. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, a guarantee of our inheritance. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So we are back where we began. We're at the end. If we want to participate in the grace of salvation, the salvation of God in Christ, which is the manifestation of God's love for us and for the world, if we want to intimately participate in the life of God, we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Spirit is the only guarantee of our inheritance, that we believe that we can be transformed, that we can participate in the life of God. So Christian, because of the indwelling spirit within you, you have faith and you are not powerless. God has given you the fullness of himself. The spirit of the living God is yours. He is yours by Christ. He is yours, your inheritance. You are a new creation in him because of the spirit. You are made a Christian. You are not powerless. Let's turn our attention to our reading just briefly here at the end. How do we know that the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ indwells with us? In many ways, this is the question of the entire letter this entire letter to the Corinthians. In our, in our reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, it starts with two imperatives that I want to briefly look at by way of application here. Just before verse 5 in our reading, in verse 3, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, Christ is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. He's powerful among you 
For Christ was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. Paul will say elsewhere that he was raised by the Spirit of the living God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you we will live with him by the power of God. So they're questioning the Apostle Paul. They're seeking proof of God's power in him. And so Paul gives this question in verse 5 at the beginning of our reading. It starts with an imperative. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. A second imperative. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Skipping down to verse 9. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. So how can we participate more deeply in the gospel this morning? Or how is the power of God the Holy Spirit made manifest in the life of the believer? I'm going to end with three tests. Three tests. Test number one. Forgive the one who has caused you the deepest pain. Test number one, how do we know? How can we examine ourselves and know whether we have faith? Forgive the one who has caused you the deepest pain. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 8. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, your love for God. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Forgive the one, Paul says, the one who has caused you the greatest pain. Turn to them, he says in verse 7, to comfort them with unmerited forgiveness. Don't wait for them to come in repentance. Come to them with all comfort, he says. And forgive them in Christ if we don't forgive and comfort those who have caused us the deepest pain, then they will be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So the first test, whether or not we have faith in Christ, is forgive the one who has caused you the deepest pain. Test number two. Kiss the porch and the entrance of the temple. Let me say that again. Kiss the porch and the entrance of the temple. I invite you to look around you. Just look at your neighbor real quick. You don't have to look at everyone. It doesn't have to get weird. Look around you. Everyone around you comes with burdens or with groaning in their body right now. Every single person here. We all don't think our neighbor has the issue, it's just me. We know that if the tent, Paul says, that is our earthly home, so he's talking about the tabernacle that is our body, we know that if it's destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Paul ends this letter with another command, and perhaps this is the greatest test of all. 
Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. John Chrysostom asked the question, which I'm sure all you're sure asking here, uh, what is a holy kiss? What is a holy kiss? Well, I think it's a holy kiss, and I'm sad that we don't kiss each other, but we're not starting that practice here today. But he goes on to explain, a holy kiss is one that is not hypocritical, like the kiss of Judas. The kiss is given in order to stimulate love and install the right attitude in us toward each other. When we return after an absence, we kiss each other for our souls hasten to bond together. Kiss the porch and entrance of the temple. Where do I get that? Chrysostom goes on to say, but there is something else which might be said about this. We are the tent. We are the temple of Christ. And when we kiss each other, we are kissing the porch and entrance of the temple. What is Chrysostom saying? Human beings aren't a means to an end. We don't love someone to get something back from them. We are invited to greet the saints around you as you would greet Jesus. Don't kiss to get something for yourself. Don't kiss to betray. Don't love your neighbor. Don't love your spouse. Don't love your friend to get something from them. This is not love. Receive their presence as you would receive Christ and do this intimately. Maybe even with a kiss. Show affection. As you are greeting one another, you are greeting our Lord Jesus Christ. Kiss the porch and entrance of the temple. And finally, the final test, give generously to God. Give generously to God. Paul spends a lot of this letter talking about a group of people called the Macedonians. He begins in the first chapter, but I'm going to skip to chapter 8 and verse 1. Paul writes, We want you, Corinthians, to know, my brothers and my sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Verse 3, for they gave according to their means. They gave according to, this is the same word, power. They gave according to the power that was theirs in Christ. As I can testify and beyond their power, beyond their means, of their own accord, the Macedonians gave, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief, in the koinonia, in the participation of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. The poor Macedonians, they have funded the entire missionary work of the apostles to the rich Corinthians. 
And they are extolled all over this letter from first to last. And in one sense, in one sense, this final test, this final examination is the easiest. It is difficult. It is difficult to forgive those who cause us deep pain. Most of us are very reluctant to do that. We're even reluctant to do that when they come groveling, confessing on their knees. It can be quite difficult to see saints around us, especially one those, those who have harmed us, who have caused us deep pain, to see them gathered around us and see them as the very presence of Jesus, as the dwelling place of the Most High God, and to greet them with holy affection. Those are very difficult tests. So in one sense, giving generously, or what Paul calls this act of grace, of giving money generously and cheerfully to the churches, is the easiest test. So here's the question. Do you give money generously? Do you give of your finances cheerfully and faithfully to God? If you give generously and cheerfully, then you are doing this according to the power of God in you. According to the powerful working of the Holy Spirit in your life. And this is, this generosity, this, this giving, this contribution, this relief, all of this is the same word. This is our this is participation in the light of the gospel over and over again in this letter. It is, our, it is our very outworking of the fellowship that we share with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the koinonia that leads us. We participate in God and therefore we, we want to participate. We want to give. We want to, we want to relieve. We want to have fellowship with the saints and relieve the saints around us. The generosity of your contribution for the saints and all the, all, all the others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Giving generously of your finances to those appointed by the churches to oversee and administer and care for the churches, to do this, Paul says, it benefits you. It benefits you. It is a participation in the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul tells the rich Corinthians that he wants to send the Macedonians to them. He wants to send the Macedonians to the church at Corinth so that they could be encouraged as he was encouraged at Corinth. But he says, the poor Macedonians, okay, so this is the poor Macedonians who are funding Paul's entire ministry to the church in Corinth. But if they don't start giving, if Corinth doesn't start giving generously before the Macedonians come, Paul says that it would be humiliating. It would be their shame. It would be a shame and a humiliation to the Apostle Paul and to the rest of the church. And so the Apostle Paul gives them a test. He invites them to examine themselves, give generously before we come, and do this willingly, not as an exaction. 
Jesus Christ is in you. He is in you by faith. And therefore, examine yourself. I hope, I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. Not that we may appear to have met the test. Not for appearance's sake. Not to look righteous. But that you may do what is righteous. Though we may seem to have failed, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the participation in the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit be with you all forevermore. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.